Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find with me the book of 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, as we are going verse by verse through 1 Samuel. And uh, just a couple things. Um, uh, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart how appreciative uh, myself and my family are for your love and kindness every year in October. If you know anything about me, you know that I can be an extreme jerk when people try to be nice to me. I don't want you to be mean to me, but I just want you to leave me alone. And, uh, and I, I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but it's two things. And one, while I know that many of you love your pastor, I always worry about that family that doesn't. And pastor appreciation is like rubbing uh, salt in a womb. And so that's one of the reasons I'm always so weird about pastor appreciation. It's kind of like in politics, if your team wins, woo! But if your team doesn't win, you hate the guy that won and the other team. And so that's always been something I've struggled with. And two, I always worry that people will think that the pastor does what he does for the accolades. And, uh, and I never want that to be the case. And so if I come across as a jerk, I am truly sorry. Uh, and our family truly does love you. And we thank you for 10 years together. And, uh, and if the Lord is willing, uh, many, many more uh, to come. But I have some cards this morning that I want to read to you. And I want you to listen to these cards because they go along with the sermon this morning. And I always want to say that if you write not something nice in these cards about myself or our staff, I always skip over them. And so I don't want you to think that I can't read. Uh, that's why the cards don't always sound the same way that you write them. Dear Ten Mile, thank you all so much for the prayers, card, messages during my surgery and recovery. The love we receive from our church family is so appreciated. And that is from the Wilsons, uh, Jeremy, Amy, Cooper, and Hanley. The second card I have for you this morning, 10 Mile Family, thank you for all you have done during the passing of my husband, Tom. It has been hard to say the least. The meals are so appreciated. The lantern, cards, calls, and messages got me through many rough days. But most of all, thank you for your prayers and that is from Anna McInerney. Third card I have for you this morning is 10 Mile Family. Words cannot express enough our gratitude and appreciation for all that was done to make my sweet father's passing celebration of life a beautiful day honoring him. And then on top of everything you did, we received a gift, a beautiful flower arrangement in a cool a beautiful wooden box of faith, love, and hope. It is proudly displayed in our home and will be a, bring a smile every time that we look at it. And that is from the J.D. Tyler family. And one more this morning. Words cannot truly express how much our family appreciated the support, prayers, wreath, and meal after the passing of Don. We are still reeling from his absence in our lives, but all of you, have tremendously helped to lessen the sting from our loss. Thank you all so much. And that is from Brenda and the entire Lynch family. And so this morning, I want you to remember what you do matters. 
And I hear it all the time. Well, a church runs 500 people and no one cares about each other and no one knows each other and, and I don't matter to anybody, but I'm telling you, what you do matters. How you love people makes a difference. And so I want to encourage you today to keep doing what you're doing. The sermon this morning is the keys to moving forward. And today this is a quite uh, interesting passage of Scripture because it is the keys to moving forward in our relationships with other people. I don't know if you watch the news or you're on Facebook or you go anywhere where other people are, but if you are like me, you are probably most days all peopled out. I cannot begin to tell you how many times over the last few years I have said, if God, you just give me a small cabin up in the mountains, which it couldn't be too small because I have so many children, but a small cabin and then an RV for me to live in, um, Lord, up in the mountains, and if I never had to see people again, Lord, Amazon could bring me everything I needed, I really think that would be okay. And I'm going to be honest today, if you're here, you've probably felt that, whether it's the person you live with, the people you work with, the people you go to church with, your family, you have probably dealt with friction and difficulty in your life and got to that point where you say, people just aren't worth it. I'm gonna stick to me and my own and I'm gonna avoid the drama of the world and other people and that will bring me joy and happiness. But today I want you to know that you have to keep moving forward in loving God and loving other people. If you weren't here two weeks ago, we started this chapter and we started to look at how Saul was chasing David, chasing him for his life. David's living in the wilderness, and there's a few hundred soldiers that are with him. One of these cities in Israel is being attacked by an enemy army, and David feels compelled in his spirit to go help and save this town. And he goes before God and says, should I go save this town? And God tells the messenger, yes. So David tells his men, we're going to go save this city. And they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't. We're safe. We're hidden. We really don't need to go exposing ourselves to the attacks of our enemy. And so David went back to God and asked again. And the Lord says, yes, go. David gets there and saves this city, all its inhabitants. And as soon as it's over, David gets wind that Saul's coming to get me. And he asked God, are these people that I just saved, that I just rescued, going to turn me over to Saul, or will they be loyal? And God says, they'll, they'll turn you over. And so Saul is being chased by a man that he is nothing but honorable to. His own soldiers didn't want to go where he wanted to go. And the people that he saved weren't even willing to express any thanks at all. If I'm David, I'm saying, Lord, you give me a cabin in the mountain, I'm done with people. I am done helping people. I'm done ministering to people. I'm done building relationships with people. I am going to be the grumpy old man that says, get off my lawn! The Walmart greeter says, get your junk and get out! But that's not what happened here. 
And this morning, I want you to know that you say, Jake, I've never had that feeling. I love people so much. People are just a blessing. I love watching the news. I love listening to people's Facebook page. You are a liar. But this morning, I want you to know something. The church of Jesus Christ is all about loving him and loving others. You say, Jake, loving people hurts. You bet it does. Loving people causes you to be betrayed and lied about and and mistreated, and, and it's just not worth it. I can tell you what, from an earthly standpoint, you're exactly right. But this morning, I want to show you three things that if you're going to be useful to God and make a difference in the lives of other people, you need to remember as you go. And so pray with me, and we'll jump right in. (coughs) Father, I come this morning thankful for who you are. And Lord, as we wade into this difficult topic this morning, Lord, I know there there are hurts, there are broken relationships, there are baggage. Lord, there are so many things that come to our mind and emotions when we talk about relationships. But God, you put these verses in this chapter And Lord, we're going verse by verse. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, that you would do and work and move in a mighty way. That Jesus is glorified. And Lord, that your church is the church that you want us to be. And so, Lord, I'm going to give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And I'm going to ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, please write this down. God provides what we need. Look at verse 14 with me as we go verse by verse. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now I want you to think about this because in that moment you're thinking, well, Jake, what else could he ask for? Well, if I'm David, this is what I'm asking for. Lord, if you would smite Saul, I would appreciate it. I don't want to live on the run. I don't want to hide in the wilderness. I don't want to be away from my wife. And if you read ahead, you're going to know that King Saul took his wife and gave gave her to another man. All while David is fleeing for his life, but yet God never allowed him to be captured. God never allowed him to lose his life. If I'm King David, you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying that my soldiers wouldn't be such wine babies. And they would go to battle with me when I want to go to battle. And when God tells me to go to war, I want some people that will be there in the thick of it. If I'm David, I'm praying. You know what? I wish that city that I had just saved, that I just sacrificed my time and possibly could have been my life for, would at least have been thankful. That's, That's how I would have prayed if I'm David. But no, God doesn't always give you what you want, but he will always give you what you need. And this morning you say, Jake, but I really want what I want. And I really have great dreams and great desires. But I want to show you something this morning, and I believe this is why many of you this morning are in a place where you are in great difficulty. There are relationships, problems, you've got struggles in your walk with God. is because Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is trying to knock the you out of you. You see, when David was in the wilderness, he had no one else to rely on. It was just God. If God didn't provide, he didn't live. If God didn't supply, he didn't have what he needed. God was everything, and he was everyone to him. There was no one else. But I want you to think about this. 
If Saul hadn't chased David, David would have probably thought, hey, I'll be nice to Saul. Saul be nice to me. I've got this royal gig in the palace. I don't have to be king. Or what if his soldiers had been faithful and wanted to fight with him all the time? He would have said, as long as I've got my army, no one else can do anything to me. Or what if all those cities that he began to save would have started saying, oh, David, we love you so much. You're so wonderful. His head would have got big. And he started saying, well, as long as these people are for me, as long as they love me. But you see, friends, look up here for just a moment. Anything that you put in your life that you begin to trust and rely on and give as your identity outside of Jesus Christ, God will remove it. Or he will show you that it's not as important as you thought it was. There are people that I thought I could never live without if they weren't in my life. People that go to church with, if they're not here, I can't be the pastor. If I don't have this relationship, I can't be who I am. And we talked about this in our Sunday school class. Is your identity in Jesus or is it something else? We're at that age now where we are no longer Jacob and Tony Gray. We're Kylie's dad, Andrea's dad, Jayla's dad, Tinley's dad, Lydia's dad, and Leslie's friends can't talk yet, but soon it'll be Leslie's friends. That's who we are. And as a couple, it's easy sometimes to think that's who we are. We are their parents. But I'm not. I, I am their parent. <laughs> that's awkward, but I am their parent. But first and foremost, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm a child of the king. My relationship and my identity is in him. And then outside of that, yes, I am a husband to Tony. I am a pastor of this church. But friends, when those things become more important to you, then God, you are my everything. God, you're the one I love. Lord, you're the one that I'm seeking. You're the one that I'm following. You will begin to bring these false idols into your life, and God might just have to send you into the wilderness so that you learn to trust him completely. You say, Jake, but that person I work with, they're awful. You know what? You might work with someone that thought you were awful at one time. And God might be allowing them to stay employed there for you to learn some patience and some long-suffering. You say, Jake, if God would just change my spouse, I could love him so much better. And I could be so much closer to him. Maybe God's trying to teach you that even though you love that spouse with everything you are, you've got to love Jesus more. And he might be allowing them to go through difficulty so it learns and teaches you how to pray more how to fast, how to seek his face. And there might be one of these days where that unbelieving spouse that you're living with comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But so many times when difficulties come and people abandon us and, and our life falls apart around us, we say, God, why? And we say, God, how? And God, God, what are you doing? And really, we need to be looking at, God, what are you trying to do in my life? Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes it in Philippians 4. He talks about learning how to live with nothing. He learns how to live with plenty. But what he ends up knowing above all is what? And my God shall supply all your, according to his riches, in glory by Jesus Christ. You see, most of us are not satisfied with just our needs being met. Now, I don't want you to, to miss this. There will be seasons during your life when God will bless you more than your needs. You'll have more blessings than you can even count because I believe God wants to bless his children. But there will come seasons in your life 
when it will feel like I'm just eating breadcrumbs. I'm just barely making it by. How many more people in my life can die? How many more people can get cancer? How many more people in my life can betray me? How many more people can I work with that make my life miserable? God, how can I be in this wilderness time? And what God's trying to say to you is, look to me. Trust me. And so this morning, I want you to hear this. If you are truly saved, and you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a church attender, not someone trying to be morally good, but if you are truly born again, God will not allow you to leave the idols in your life. He will begin to chip away at them slowly. You say, Jake, I got more money than I can ever need. God can take every penny of it away from you. You say, Jake, I got enough money to meet my needs. God can provide enough that you need. You say, Jake, there's no way that I can forgive that person for what they've done to me. Look up here. If you're saved, God can begin to put you in situations where you learn to forgive and you learn to love people that you never thought was possible. And so remember that in the middle of difficulties, God provides what we need. Second thing I want to show you this morning is this. God will provide the people that we need. God provides the people that we need. Let's just go on in these verses, verse by verse. Verse 15. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Now, it says right there that God sent Jonathan to encourage him, to remind him that God was going to use him, that God was going to bless him, that God was going to make him king. Jonathan could have said, I'm supposed to be king. I'm Saul's son. I'm not worried about David. I'm not worried about what is going to happen. But he shows up and he says, you're going to be king. And I'm going to be next to you. I'm going to be under you. You are going to be the one that's in charge. And everyone knows it. You see, friends, you need to realize you're either being a Jonathan in someone's life or you're being a Saul. You need to realize that everybody that comes into your life can either be a Jonathan or a Saul. Someone said one time, well, Jake, this person and I met, so we, it's God's will that we get married. Uh, one person said, Jake, this job opportunity opened up. I know it's God's will for me to take it. Look up here. Not everyone that comes into your life is for you to model your life after. There are some of you that I've seen your marriage for the last 10 years, and I think, Lord, I would love to have a marriage like that. And there are some of you that I've saw that I thought I wouldn't want to be married at all, Okay. If you that aren't laughing, you're thinking, don't look at my wife. Don't look at my wife. But that's the way it is. And there will be some people that come into your life that will be there to encourage you, that will be there to pray with you, that will be able to walk with you and grow, help grow you as a Christian. And there will be other people that come into your life that God will use them to show you, that's not what I want. That's not what I want in my marriage. That's not how I want to talk. That's not how I want to live. And he'll bring those people into your life to stretch you as a Christian to cause you to grow in your faith. Because truly, the Bible makes it clear that, that it's, it's some people would lay down their life for a good man, but no one would lay down their life for their enemy. 
And so God will bring those people into your life for you to learn how to love, learn how to forgive, learn how to trust. And so this morning I want you to see this and think about it. God gave Eve to Adam. Moses had Aaron or Aaron, whichever commercial you watch. Jeremiah had Baruch. Paul had Silas. Aquila had Priscilla. And the list goes on and on and on. And so this morning, I want you to to know that who you worship with, who you sit next to on these pews, who you live your life together matters because God knows what is coming in your future. And there will be mountaintops, there will be valleys, there will be deserts, there will be oases, and there will come times in your life that God will meet those needs, but there will also be times that God will use the people in your life to be there, to sit next to you in a funeral home, to sit next to you in the hospital. That's why I read these cards. One, to honor the fact that we were able to love people but two, to remind you to be a Jonathan. You say, well, Jake, all we did was provide a meal. You have no idea what that time of fellowship and love means to people. You say, Jake, all I did was send a card. You have no idea what that does for people. You say, Jake, all I did was walk through the funeral line and and shook their hand and and told them a story about their dad or grandpa or or sister and, and how much they meant you don't know how God might use that as a Jonathan moment. And the moment this church starts thinking, well, as long as we've got enough people, as long as we've got enough members, as long as we've got enough money, we'll be who God wants us to be. You are wrong. The moment that you forget to love God and love other people, God will remove his hand of blessing on this place. And what you will have is a cold, dead meeting of people. That's all right. I thank you for the amen. That was right. And that's a warning. That's an encouragement to keep being who God wants you to be. Because I don't know if you've ever been this or not. I've been in a lot of churches in my life. And I read multiple cards every week. I think there are some churches that would never have a card. They're cold, they're dead, they're unloving and unforgiving. And and they just show up and they leave. And that can be this church. But you won't see what you see now. We had five people that were saved Sunday of last week, and I have talked to five more this week that were not willing to raise their hand or didn't tell anybody Sunday. So there were 10 people saved last week. Now, now I don't hear well, and I'm just a little bit cantankerous on Pastor Appreciation Morning. There were 10 people who were on their way to hell who were lost who were going to spend an eternity in judgment and hell and damnation and now have found the love, forgiveness, and hope of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. I appreciate that. Amen. Someone ought to be happy. You say, well, uh, well, uh, Jake, he's not my favorite preacher, or, or Jake, I don't like this, or I don't like that. Look up here. It ain't about what you want. Sometimes you got to just swallow your pill of pride and say, Lord, if you're going to send somebody and you're going to use him, Lord, I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to be a part of it. And I'm going to pray for it. And I'm going to thank God for it because God sends the people that you need and we need when we need them. Third and final thing this morning. Not only does God provide what we need, not only does God provide the people that we need, but God will provide the distractions 
for our enemies. Look what it says here in verses 19 through 29 as we quickly run to the end. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the stronghold in the woods, in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshmon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And who has seen him there? For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore, take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout the clans of Judah." So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Then Saul and his men went to seek him. They told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed at the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Now don't miss this. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and his David and his men on the other side of the mountain... So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. These men went to Saul and said, we know where David's at. We are, we are supposed to be loyal to him, but you know what? You come down, you take care of him, you can reward us. Now, if you're David, you are definitely all peopled out at this point. But I want you to notice something. David's on a mountain. Saul's on the mountain. And his men are encircling him. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do you get off a mountain? Well, you're not Spider-Man, so you can't jump from one to the other. You have to go back down a mountain. And if an enemy's army is around the bottom of the mountain circled, and... Saul and his other men are on one side of the mountain. You have what? Nowhere to go. That's where David finds himself. Surrounded, outgunned, outmanned, and God provides the distraction that is needed. And listen here, starting in verses 27 through 29. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called the place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engediah. And so what happens is God brings an enemy army into the land, and Saul has to stop pursuing David and go fight him. I want to show you four quick things. Very quick. No verses, just write these down of how God will remove people in your life or how God will work to remove situations from you. First is this, he can change them. God can change the people in your life that have made your life the most miserable. God can save them. God can restore them. God can reconcile those relationships. God can change your enemy. You say, Jake, you just don't know my enemies. You just don't know what it's like at my house. 
What I can tell you is this. I know that if you're here today and you're saved, it's a miracle. It is a miracle that God loves any of us because of our sinfulness. And I don't know about you, but I remember what it was like to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ, to be forgiven, to be set free, to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if God can save me, he can save someone else. You say, well, Jake, I just don't agree with that. Well, you're wrong. You've got to believe that God can change that prodigal. You've got to believe that God can change that atheist. You've got to believe that God can change the person that you live with. Second of all, God can distract them from you. God can bring someone else into their life that they hate more than you, that that hatred is turned from you. Have you ever met someone and thought, boy, I sure am glad that I've met them? And have you ever met someone and you thought, boy, I have a feeling I'm gonna regret this for the rest of my life. Do not look at the person you're married with, okay? Don't do it, don't do it. But friends, I'm telling you what, I have been enough people and seen enough people that when someone hates you, that hate won't just stay at you. You wait, God will bring someone in their life that they're more jealous of. God will bring someone in their life that they're more obsessed with. And so God might change them, he might distract them. But the third one is God can destroy them. I want you to hear this this morning. Be very careful fighting against God's people. Now, I didn't say God's pastors, pastor, I'm not saying that, God's people. Be careful when you're wronged that you let God fight for you. You be careful when someone hurts you in a way that everything in you wants to stand up here and say, I'd just really love to tell you how they are. Let me just tell you what really happened. Don't do that. God will let no one destroy his bride. And that includes you, and that includes me. The church of Jesus Christ is special. To you and me, it's just a building. We come and we sit and we sing. But you are the bride of Christ. And I'm telling you, you start messing with someone's bride, you're in for a world of trouble. And God is righteous anger. And so this morning, I'm telling you, whether it is someone that's after you as a Christian, whether it's someone after your marriage as a Christian, whether it's someone after the church, God will either change them, distract them, or he will destroy them. And you've just got to wait that's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If I'm David, I'm saying, God, if you just get rid of Saul, if you just take care of this, and here in just a couple chapters, guess what happens? Saul loses his life. Saul's children lose their life. God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is knowing what's happening. God is seeing what's happening. You just let him fight for you. And the fourth one is this. God might just be using them for a season to strengthen you. You see, many times we refuse to be who God wants us to be unless he turns up the heat. I'm not going to forgive you if I don't have to. And the spirit of God will begin to convict me. And I'll be like, Lord, I know I need to forgive them, but I'm not going to forgive them. You know what God will do? He'll make me be around you. Or then he'll let something happen in your life where I have to pray for you. 
And as I am praying like this, Lord, you know how they really are. Lord, you know how much trouble they cause. Lord, you know, you know them, Lord. You know them, Lord. And Lord, if you don't care, why don't you cure that grandchild with cancer? Or Lord, if you don't, if you don't care, why don't you help them have the marriage that their children aren't damaged by? And it's amazing how God will begin to take that unforgiveness and remove it. And this is the greatest advice I can ever give you, husbands and wives. Nothing greater. Pray together out loud. It is the greatest piece of advice I can give you. My wife and I don't like we should. We don't. I'll be honest with you as I can be. Life's busy. Life's hectic. She's got a lot going on. But I'm telling you, I don't care how rough your day's been or how rough your, her day's been. If you lay down there and say, Lord, I just want you to bless her. Lord, I pray that you'd help her to to, to grow and to have courage and strength and energy. And before long, you might just forget why you're such a jerk. And vice versa. Because why? God might be using the tense moments, the difficulties, the betrayal to shape you into who he wants you to be. And so let God move people into your life and out of your life. You never know what God is wanting to do you see, when Psalms 54 is written, when David was going through this and what he was feeling, and this morning I want to challenge you with this one thing. David said, if it wasn't for the Lord, I would not have made it. Do you really have that view of your life this morning? Do you know without a, with a 100% certainty that I am saved because of Jesus and Jesus alone? It's not because I was baptized. It's not because I'm a good church member. It's not because I give a lot of money. I am saved by grace and grace alone. And Lord, I want a lot of things and I believe that you'll give me a lot of those. But Lord, what I really want is the needs. Lord, help me to trust you in the moments of nothing. And so this morning, I wanna ask you here in just a moment as we bow our heads and begin to pray. Do you really know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't, God loves you. He proved that by dying on the cross for your sin and for mine, for being buried and rising from the grave. And the Bible says if you'll repent of your sins, turn from them and turn to Jesus. Ask him to save you and forgive you and to come into your life and heart, you will be saved. You say, Jake, I know I'm saved. Well, then my challenge to you this morning is, what are you going through that God is trying to show you that he's really not all you need in your mind? You say, Jake, but I come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm on the head of the underwater basket weaving committee. Jake, I, I do everything here. Look up here. Just maybe you don't rely on him as much as you think you do. Friends, you think, well, I don't need people in my life. I don't need drama. I just need peace. There's only one person who can give you peace, and that's the Lord. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Oh, yeah, people cause drama. People do dumb things. People will hurt you. But Jesus promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. And so today I'm going to ask that you would come and get alone and say, Lord, you know my struggle. You know the difficulties. Lord, I need you. I need you in every way. 
Maybe today you just want to come and say, God, thank you for being with me when I was in the valley because I would have never made it without you. But most importantly today, if you're here and you've never been saved, I'm going to be standing right down here in front. I'd love to show you what the Bible says it takes to be saved, to be born again, and to be made right with him.